The following program is being brought to you on the Seventh Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit SeventhWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. The teachings of the Ascended Masters are universal and available to all. The Ascended Masters themselves are the saints and sages of East and West, and their teachings incorporate the original core beliefs of all the world's major religions. No matter which religious path you follow, you will find these teachings equally compelling. This is The Open Door. Come along with us as we explore the teachings of the Ascended Masters. Here are the hosts for The Open Door, Tom Schumacher and Terry Kennedy. And greetings, everyone, and welcome to The Open Door, the online voice of the Summit Lighthouse, where we publish and practice the teachings of the Ascended Masters, and where we invite you to awaken to the light within. I'm Tom Schumacher. And I'm Terry Kennedy. And I'm Sid Bennett. Hi, guys. Hi. How's it going? Well, I think you'll agree today's uh, topic is somewhat intriguing, uh, Jesus on Atlantis. Yes. <laughs> if we think of Atlantis at all, we, we don't typically associate it with Ascended Master Jesus. Nope. Yet he was there. Yeah, and the amazing thing is that we're talking about a period that occurred, you ready, 33,000 years before his birth as wow. our Lord and Savior. Oh, well, you know, what we know is that the Golden Age on Atlantis extended for more than 2,000 years, and the Master Jesus was only one of his many rulers during that period. Of course, he didn't go by the name Jesus, um, and it, interestingly, he ruled Atlantis with his twin flame, who we know today as Magda, during that period. That's right. And our accounts of Atlantis and the, the various details that we'll be sharing with you today come to us courtesy of Philos the Tibetan in his book, A Dweller on Two Planets, which mm-hmm. chronicles one of his previous incarnations on Atlantis. Yep. You know, it's really no wonder that Atlantis has captured so much of our collective imagination. <laughs> It's mysterious, some even think it's mythical, and yet also very evocative and familiar, because most of us were, all, were probably there. Yeah. You know, there are some who say that many in America are re-embodied Atlanteans. <laughs> and I think those of us living here in America may have a special affinity and a special sensitivity to this whole notion of Atlantis, particularly because we are intended to be the seat of the next great golden age. Now, as for ancient Atlantis, what was it like, we ask ourselves? Well, imagine a society where the transportation system was largely powered by a secret power of nature, Mm. where communications were entirely wireless, giving those who communicated the impression that they were literally standing side by side, and where the year was divided into 33 weeks of 11 days each. Well, and here's one that you might find hard to believe. There was a social caste system um, that existed without apparent rancor or resentment because everyone had the opportunity to rise through the social ranks if they so chose. Yeah, I find that very interesting. <laughs> yeah. and, and education was comprehensive with an emphasis on the sciences and the priesthood. If any citizen of Atlantis wished to vote, he or she was required to have completed a certain degree of education. And if they wished to serve in government, they were required to achieve an additional level of education. There were no low-information voters on Atlantis. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. 
That's refreshing. Anyway, another aspect of Atlantis that I find interesting and fascinating is that the inhabitants were able to materialize whatever they needed for food without the need for farmland. Wow, amazing. (laughs) And as we'll hear shortly, when the golden age of Atlantis came to an end, the evil evil counselor, Xenos, had subverted this native ability of the people to manifest what they needed and had begun to supply them with food as a means of controlling them. Yeah, it sounds eerily familiar, doesn't it, guys? (laughs) Rather than remaining accountable and self-determined, many of the people gave this power to the government to dole out. Thus, they compromised their independence and freedom and suffered the consequences. Yeah, I think they had it all and they threw it all away. Yeah, Jesus saw this coming, too. While many of the people stayed true to their traditions and special abilities, enough gave in to the temptation to have their needs met by outside agencies— that the golden age that had prevailed for more than 2,000 years was taken down in less than 50 years. And what a great loss, Tom. The people lived in an ideal society, had all of their basic needs easily met, were aided by amazing levels of advanced technology, were able to pursue meaningful employment, and had exemplary education opportunities. As we might say, they had it made. They had it made. You know, and yet it only took a little to sow seeds of dependence and doubt. Maybe the people simply became too complacent and took what they had become accustomed to for over 2,000 years for granted. Mm-hmm. But whatever the reasons, not even a near-perfect society nor a ruler as wise as Jesus could keep many of the people from drifting away from the light, you know, free will again, <laughs> and ultimately experiencing the drowning of their poor choices <laughs> in Noah's karmic flood. Noah's karmic flood. Yes, indeed. Well, this seems to be our Achilles heel. We have a tendency to tinker with paradise. Instead of an attitude of, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, We have this frustrating human tendency to say, hmm, I wonder what will happen if I push this button. Oh, (laughs) yo, bad move. Yeah. Well, next thing we know, we're looking over (laughs) our shoulders at the the Garden of Eden, I should say, growing (laughs) smaller and smaller and more and more distant. Yeah, then after literally thousands of years, everything comes full circle once again. With the advent of each new golden age, we revisit the essence of Eden. For a time, we regain our harmony and focus on God only to see it lost each time due to our inattention and lack of commitment to the purity of God's vision for us. Now we've got another golden age coming. Let's get it right this time and not throw it away. What do you say? Uh, Good idea, (laughs) Jerry. But let's shift a little bit and back to this book we referred to earlier, A Dweller on Two Planets by Philos the Tibetan. You can find it on Amazon if you're interested. Elizabeth Karapafa has also presented a remarkable lecture based on this book, which, among other things, chronicles Jesus' life on Atlantis. This audio is available through our bookstore at tsl.org slash bookstore. <laughs> in fact, we're going to be playing a couple of very interesting excerpts from this lecture in just a few short minutes. You know, in shifting our focus back to Philos the Tibetan's book, we might want to pay particular attention to the similarities between the Atlantean civilization of 35,000 years ago and today. Our technologies today are being developed and refined at an amazing pace, particularly in communication and the sciences. The trajectory of new discoveries is beginning to rival that of an ancient Atlantis. And I think this needs to be for us perhaps a cautionary tale, particularly about being swept up in the euphoria of scientific advancements and the subsequent diminishing or dismissing the role of God in the unfoldment of our soul's destiny. And it seems that in every golden age, there are sterile and there are still spiritual tests that must be passed. After all, the fallen angels have almost always been with us, and their expressed purpose is to subvert the light and turn us away from God. And they know full well that one of the best ways to achieve their ends is to make us so comfortable and complacent 
that we forget our spiritual core, that we forget who we are. Mm. And then we allow God to fade into the background. Well, and look at our culture and society today. I mean, isn't this exactly what we're seeing? The fading of God into a dim, non-distinct background. You know, not everywhere, of course. It's never completely black and white. But we do recognize that our, comp- our compromises with darkness grow, whether that's through, you know, poor diet, alcohol, drugs, sex, rock and roll, jazz, disregard for life, etc., by degrees. And the accumulative weight of these choices is dragging us down. And as in the case of Atlantis, are we in danger of drowning in our poor choices? Well, again, you know, this is a cautionary tale. Let all who can see and understand what appears to be unfolding in our culture and other cultures around the world yeah, know that there are no compromises with darkness, not without grave consequences. Well, we would hope a word to the wise would be sufficient. Now, lest we be accused of too much negativity as we look back, <laughs> let's talk about what we can look forward to with the dawning of a new golden age. Yeah, well, how about being able to materialize whatever food we desire? I like that. I, I love like that one. How about super safe and reliable transportation that runs on natural forces found in nature or communication systems that provide instant connection without hardware? We could see the complete eradication of disease, of <laughs> ignorance, of crime. Yeah, there'd be no need for police. There would be a core understanding of morals and an appreciation of appropriate behavior. Music, entertainment, and the arts would be uplifting, celebrating life and goodness and supporting core values that promote goodness, <laughs> kindness, forgiveness, grace, gratitude. Sounds just like an ideal society to well, me. Well, it would be a <laughs> yeah. golden age, and I'd say with the emphasis on golden. <laughs> yeah, and I'm glad we brought the energy back up a notch <laughs> with that golden. It was beginning to feel just a little depressing. Well, in the coming golden age, life will be easy and carefree but not without the need to maintain spiritual focus and discipline. Golden age is not synonymous with vacation. Right. You know, I know we're coming up on a break soon, so let's, before we get there, let's say a bit about Jesus' role in Atlantis. What this, with this concept Odai brings up for many people is the idea that Jesus, like the rest of us, has experienced all, what all evolved, evolving souls experience, growing pains. And Jesus certainly made great uh, attainment in many of his embodiments leading up to his last as Jesus of Nazareth. And again, like the rest of us, Jesus had his share of karma to balance. You know, and it's important to note because as we say so often, the ascended masters have seen it all, they've experienced it all. They know what we face on our day-to-day lives, the challenges and the problems, and that's what makes their help and teaching so vital and useful and practical. Well, I'm sure, you know, that what Jesus gained as ruler of Atlantis was put to good use over and over again as his own soul evolved. And we are inspired to follow in his footsteps, imitating his example. Seems to me that this is the real reason for today's program focus, the imitation of the Christ. I didn't mean to be sneaky about it, but yeah, yeah I think yeah. it is. Of course, I also think it's very interesting to contemplate Jesus in a role other than the one we are most familiar with. But to your question, Terry, yes, whether through a golden age or a dark age, for that matter, imitating the Christ is always a good idea. And one of the best ways to do this is by becoming a keeper of the flame. Oh, we can't stress this enough. (laughs) (laughs) When you become a keeper, you will receive a series of 33 printed or digital lessons delivered at regular intervals that teach you the path of the Ascended Masters, beginning with the marvelous awakening of the divine light within you, Mm -hmm. then becoming the Christ, as Jesus demonstrated, a little bit more each day, and culminating with your ascension and reunion with the heart of God. (laughs) You know, if you go to www.tsl.org slash keepers, you'll land on our Keepers of the Flame homepage. 
Just scroll down briefly and you'll find an invitation to sample Lesson 1 absolutely free. You know, take a moment to do this. Becoming a keeper will start you on a wonderful, fulfilling journey of discovery, unlike anything you've ever done before. Just remember to go to www.tsl.org slash keepers and take the masters for a spin. <laughs> or they'll take you, maybe. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. And give your talkers a spin, too. Okay. It's time we took a short break. When we return, we will hear the first of two fascinating excerpts from a lecture by Elizabeth Clare Prophet entitled, The Golden Age of Jesus Christ on Atlantis. Don't go away. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Seek greater awareness. At the Summit Lighthouse, our goal is to help you awaken to the light within and discover your real self. Today, thousands of spiritual seekers all around the world are using the universal teachings of the Ascended Masters to make their higher selves a permanent part of their reality. And you can too. The Ascended Masters are the saints and sages of East and West from all major religions and spiritual paths. They have walked where you walk and understand the challenges you face. And their teachings are always practical. By applying the science of the spoken word through verbal prayers called decrees, the masters teach us how to harness the healing power of the violet flame and other spiritual energies to transform our lives and our world. On The Open Door, it is our goal and great joy to bring you Ascended Master teachings that you can apply in your life right now. To learn more about the Summit Lighthouse and the teachings of the Ascended Masters, visit us today at tsl.org and discover how you can awaken to the light within. It's what you're here to do. Remember, tsl.org. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. You are listening to The Open Door, hosted by Tom Schumacher and Terry Kennedy. If you have a question or comment about our series, please send your emails to webradio at tsl.org. That's webradio at tsl.org. Now, back to The Open Door. Long before it disappeared beneath the waves, Atlantis experienced a golden age that lasted more than 2,000 years. And during that period, one of his most esteemed and exalted rulers was an incarnation of our own beloved Jesus Christ. Here's more. As a point of reference to giving you the record of the golden age of Jesus Christ on Atlantis, I would like to begin with this time period. The period when Jesus Christ was on Atlantis was 33,000 B.C., So we are 20,000 years closer to today in what I'm going to describe to you now to give you a sense of Atlantis. How many of you are not sure that Atlantis ever existed at all? Well, if anybody isn't quite sure, they are not admitting it. I would like to tell you that These teachings are taken from the records of Akasha, which have been opened to me specifically for the purpose of giving you new information today. What is Akasha? 
It is the substance on which is recorded every deed, every act, thought that has ever taken place anywhere in the physical universe. You could stand in the Sahara Desert and if you had the records open to you, you could see every civilization, everything that had ever happened in that particular space. And so these readings are taken, first of all, from the book A Dweller on Two Planets. The individual, Zalem, who lived at that time, became the adept Phylos, who was reincarnated in the last century. As the unascended adept, Phylos dictated to his amanuensis the book A Dweller on Two Planets. And so, in that case, it was the dictating to the amanuensis of his own records and his own memory of that time. When I come to the part of Jesus, this is the reading of the records which El Moria and Jesus have given to me for this lecture. So this comes from the book, what I'm telling you now, but I think if you are not aware of it, you don't have a sense of just what was the grandeur of Atlantis. So 13,000 BC, Atlantis had a republican monarchical system of government. The voters elected the emperor as well as his ministers who were known as the Council of Ninety. They were elected to a life tenure in office. The Council of the Ninety could be removed in cases of malfeasance. All other government officials were appointed, not elected. Voters also elected the high priest. Philos writes, it was considered true justice to allow the people to consult their own desires in this matter of choosing one whom all believe to be the most eminently good and perfect example of moral life to be over them in this highest spiritual office. The right of suffrage on Atlantis was based on education. Only citizens with a second-class diploma could vote, and only those who had a higher first-class diploma could run for office. One-third of the people had a first-class certificate, and about 92% could vote. The government of Atlantis owned all land, factories, public transit, and communication systems. The conditions of labor were governed by a legal code written on the Maxin stone. These laws established equity between employers and employees with mandated profit-sharing. Employers were not allowed to make their employees work overtime without extra compensation. A normal workday for a physical laborer was nine hours. Those who had more sedentary intellectual work had eight-hour workdays. All work, whether physical or intellectual, was considered a worthy service. Atlantean society had a caste system, but the lower castes did not envy the higher castes. Members of the lower castes always had the opportunity to better themselves. The people wore turbans of different hues, which signified their occupations. For instance, the emperor wore a pure carmine-hued silk turban. Priests wore pure white turbans. The scientific, literary, and artistic classes wore gray. The soldiers deep orange. Artisans, mechanics, and laborers blue. And those who could not vote wore green. Philos attributed the greatness of Atlantis to her educational superiority. 
The two major branches of learning were the sciences and the priesthood. The course of study at the College of Sciences, the Zioquithlon, took seven years to complete. Graduates of the College of Priests, the Inkalithlon, had to master the curriculum at the College of Sciences as well as a wide range of occult phenomena. The word occult, by the way, means hidden. They also had to master anthropological and sociological subjects. This rigorous course of study prepared priests to minister to the needs of all people in their society. Philos says the College of Priests was the very highest, most complete institution of learning which the world knew then or has known since, and for that matter will know for centuries to come. Educational opportunities were open to men and women of any race. Women were highly esteemed in Atlantean society. The honor Atlanteans accorded women was second only to the honor they accorded their God. I would like to point out, too, that this book was written before women attained suffrage in America. Philos writes, We loved our emperor and the princes. We respected them as much as ever rulers in this world have been respected. But we honored our women more. And rye and prince, sovereign and subject, were proud to acknowledge their holy influence, which made all our glorious land of freedom one great home. The Atlanteans believed in one god whom they called Inkel, symbolized by the sun. Philo says of Atlantean religion, The worship of Inkel never included anything other than the adoration of God as a spiritual entity. In our monotheism, we differed little from the religion dominating the Hebraic civilization. We recognized no divine trinity, nor any Christ spirit, neither any savior, except the endeavor to do the best we knew in the sight of Inkel. We considered all mankind as sons of God, not any one mysteriously conceived person as solely his son. Miracle was an impossible thing, for all things were deemed rationally referable to uncontravenable law. By custom, the last and first days of the week were days of Sabbath and recreation. On Atlantis, there were 11 days in each week and 33 weeks in a year. On the 11th day of the week, at noon, which the Atlanteans considered the first hour of the day, an enormous bell in the capital city's great temple of Inkel sounded. All business activity ceased and religious worship began. The following day, the first day of the week, the great bell sounded again, signaling the end of that period of religious worship. The rest of the day was devoted to recreation. According to law, the bodies of the deceased were cremated. After death, the body or ashes were ceremoniously cast into the Maxin light at the temple of Kai Fu. This slide shows the inside of the temple of Inkel and the Maxin light. The Poseidi architecture strove to simulate nature where possible. Inside the Inkalithlon were stalactites and stalagmites to give the semblance of a cave. The people believed that the unfed fire of the Maxin light would free the soul from all earthly restraints. While the exoteric or outer religion taught that each person had but one lifetime, 
those with an esoteric understanding believed in reincarnation. In general, Atlanteans believe that all who died went to the country of departed souls. According to common belief, those who had lived a good life were rewarded in a heaven where they experienced the good effects of their actions. In an adjacent region, those who had lived a wicked life experienced the bad effects of their actions. The land of the departed also included a middle territory for those whose lives were neither wholly good nor wholly bad. Philos describes some interesting inventions and technologies on Atlantis. Many Atlantean inventions made use of the secret forces of nature, forces that we have not yet discovered today. What they call the Navas, or night side, of nature. This is where they derived these secret forces from. Atlanteans drew their electrical power from these secret forces of nature, as well as from the ocean and mountain torrents. One Atlantean invention was the electro-odic public transit system. This slide shows the electro-odic transit system. It was used throughout the empire and its colonies to swiftly transport passengers. Transit carriages were suspended from nine-foot-high metal rails that ran alongside the pedestrian sidewalks. Another mode of travel on Atlantis was the Valix, an aerial ship. This slide shows a large passenger Valix leaving the coast of Atlantis. Taking advantage of the currents derived from the night side of nature, the Valix could travel high into the atmosphere or deep into the ocean at high speeds. The aerial ships ranged in length from 25 to 355 feet. They were shaped like long round needles, tapered at each end. Their windows, made of crystal of enormous resistant strength, were arranged in rows like portholes along the side of the Valix. There were a few windows on the ceiling and floor, providing a view in all directions. The air inside was pressurized. It is amazing that this book that was written in 1884, when pressurized air had not been conceived of, could be telling of these things. To me, this shows a certain authenticity of the descriptions. The large passenger aerial ships had libraries, musical instruments, and even birds flying amongst an array of plants and flowers. Atlanteans also used a form of communication called the name, or NIME, spelled N-A-I-M, a combination telephone and television. No matter how many miles apart two people were, they could see and hear each other on the Nine as if they were standing next to each other. Another technological wonder Philos describes is a portable electric water generator. This is a slide of that electric water generator. And Zalem's horse drinks. This generator was a metal box that condensed water from the atmosphere at the rate of a quart a minute. It used air currents running over metal plates which were kept cool by the forces of the night side of nature. This is a revolutionary invention. Today, such an operation would require an enormous amount of complex equipment and electricity and would be extremely costly. Another invention used in Atlantean households was an energy-saving device that could store energy from earth currents and convert it into heat for cooking and other purposes. 
Philo says, I do not say that Atlantis knew the very all. It knew more than this day has yet uncovered, but not all. <laughs> but not all. I wonder how close we've come. I know. I makes you I, wonder. I think I want to live there. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, up next, we'll hear more on the rule of Jesus on Atlantis. Please stay with us. Invite meaning and inspiration to your life. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Right now, all over the world, Warriors of Light are working tirelessly to defend your soul's opportunity to achieve oneness with God. These spiritual warriors are keepers of the flame, and though few, the power they wield is greater than all of the weapons made by man. Founded by St. Germain in 1961, Keepers of the Flame is a non-denominational fraternity in the tradition of ancient spiritual orders. When you join, you'll receive a series of lessons that will introduce you to a vast and dynamic spiritual world. See for yourself. Access Lesson 1 right now, completely free, no login required. Simply go to tsl.org slash keepers, and in seconds you could be exploring a whole new world of practical Ascended Master teachings. Lessons are printed or available online for any time, anywhere access, and anyone can join. Discover your real self and explore your full spiritual potential. Become a Keeper of the Flame today and awaken to the light within. Please visit tsl.org slash keepers and prepare to accelerate. This is the 7th Wave Channel on the Voice America Network. You are listening to The Open Door, hosted by Tom Schumacher and Terry Kennedy. If you have a question or comment about our series, please send your emails to webradio at tsl.org. That's webradio at tsl.org. Now, back to The Open Door. And thanks, everybody. Uh, glad you stayed around for this, because this is a very interesting topic. Imagine a society where all people freely applied the power, wisdom, and love of their I Am presence to every aspect of their lives with joy and gratitude. That is the essence of a golden age. And that's what we're going to hear more about right now as we continue with selected excerpts from Elizabeth Clare Prophet's lecture, the Golden Age of Jesus Christ on Atlantis. I think we are all well aware that for those who look to the Bible for the ages of earth and the times of the creation of Eden and of all that has taken place that has been recorded there, that they have concluded that the earth was created 5,000 years ago. The fact of the matter is that the earth is millions of years old. And the period in which Eden occurred was far, far beyond 5,000 years ago, even prior to this golden age of Jesus Christ on Atlantis. And so when we say since the fall of Eden, we are talking in much larger time frames. And so... I say to you, since the fall of Eden, since the fall of twin flames in Eden, mankind has enjoyed great heights 
of technology and civilization and suffered through almost unimaginable depths of barbarism. What we need to understand about Eden is that it was a mystery school. It was not only inhabited by Adam and Eve, but many other sets of twin flames who were studying under the representative of the cosmic Christ, whom we know today as Lord Maitreya. And therefore, some failed their tests, as the biblical account shows, and departed from the mystery school to make their way upon earth. We know that the early chapters of Genesis preceding the account of the flood of Noah take place on Atlantis, that that is a record of Atlantean times and a very, very incomplete record. And so when we talk about the fall in Eden, we're talking about numerous sets of twin flames who were studying there. It was a mystery school of the highest order, and into that mystery school there appeared fallen angels called serpents who came with their specious reasoning and worked in many ways to lure the mind from its point of contact with reality into accepting another path and another teaching that is antithetical to the Christ of Maitreya and the Christ in ourselves. So religion, technology, and learning have risen at different rates at different times since that descent of consciousness that Eden marks. At such times, such as during the golden ages of Greece and Rome, we have experienced intellectual development without the discovery of science and technology. Atlantis, in the time of Zalem, saw science outstrip religion. In other golden ages, religion has developed ahead of technology, enabling us to fulfill our physical needs directly from the great God source. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, reigned as emperor and high priest over a golden age civilization on Atlantis. This golden age lasted 2,000 years. It began in 34,550 B.C. and lasted until 32,550 B.C. This age was under the sign of cancer. It was 17 ages previous to our own. An age lasts about 2,150 years and is based, as you know, upon the precession of the equinoxes. Today we are concluding the age of Pisces and beginning the age of Aquarius. In this era, Jesus was born in 33,050 B.C. He began his reign in 33,000 B.C. after the Golden Age had been in progress for over 1,500 years. His consort was his twin flame. We know her today as the Ascended Lady Master Magda. They ruled because they were the highest representatives of God in embodiment in that civilization. In this golden age, 
more than 50% of the people had risen to the bonding with the Holy Christ Self. I remind you then that there is one Christ, one only begotten Son of God, that this Christ is individualized for you and for me, is the presence just above us and with us of that Emmanuel. One Christ individualized again and again and again. And so the goal of life is the soul's bonding to that Christ because the soul is the non-permanent aspect of being. The soul is not made permanent in eternal life until she does experience that bonding. Today, most people upon earth are not bonded to their Holy Christ Self, whom you may also refer to as your higher consciousness. And until we achieve that, our souls are in jeopardy. Now, if you can imagine 50% of the people in an entire civilization walking the earth with full attunement with that Christ consciousness, with full integration with that Christ, can you imagine how great a civilization could be. The inhabitants of the golden age of Jesus Christ, 20,000 years earlier, understood the laws from whence their powers came. The people sustained the power of their God source on their own, and by their free will they sustained the sanctity of the life force and the sanctity of their body temples. They maintained the soul's tie to their God source and applied the power, wisdom, love of their I am presence to every aspect of their lives with joy and gratitude. The higher adepts, the top 10% of the inhabitants, could cause plants to grow and could precipitate objects of beauty. All of the inhabitants of the civilization had children and gave birth as we do today. The top 50% who had that bonding to their Christ self used sex only for procreation. The highest adepts were celibate. There were no restrictions on sex. People limited themselves. There were 10 million inhabitants in this civilization, much less than the population of Atlantis in 13,000 BC, when according to Philos, the population of Atlantis was 300 million. I can tell you why this is so. There were certain souls who were destined to be an embodiment under Jesus Christ, who had embodied many times before. Some of them had come out of the mystery school of Maitreya, Eden, having failed their tests. They had risen to the place of this bonding once again, and the hour of opportunity had come for them where they could make their ascension if they would fulfill all things. Now this was under the old dispensation when to make your ascension you had to balance 100% of your karma. So this civilization provided for them the opportunity. Then there were others of lesser evolution for whom they were required to set the example, to demonstrate where they could be 
in decades or centuries to come or in the next reincarnation. So the 10 million souls comprised a group of people who could respond to the Savior, to the Son of God, and who could accelerate mightily on the path if they chose to do so by free will. But as we shall see, they also had to have their tests. When you reach a certain point on the path of a certain increment and increase of light, you must be tested as to whether or not you will devote yourself to that light and serve that light no matter what temptations come upon you to lead you aside. Now, Since this was the age of cancer and since the key problem of these evolutions is that they had allowed the light to drop, the kundalini to descend, and the age of cancer has to do with the base of the spine chakra, the white light of the mother, and the raising of that light. The people who were under Jesus and Magda, and especially the top 20%, dedicated themselves to meditation and the worship of God, and also to teaching others the path of soul enlightenment and the mastery of the physical octave. They taught science and religion and the work of the hands. Because they would have to pass the test again of the descent of this kundalini or its retention in the upper chakras, they did meditate. And the bija mantras that come down to us in the Hindu tradition are the types of mantras that they gave in adoration and devotion to the Divine Mother. All of the people of this civilization knew and accepted God's will. Jesus and Magda did not have to impose any rules on the people because they were all in attunement with their Divine Source. Well, do you think you were there? <laughs> I think we might have been there. Yeah, how about you out there listening? You think you were there? Yeah. Sounds kind of familiar, doesn't it? Yeah. It does. Well, up next, uh, we'll dig into this a little bit more, a little bit of Q&A, our traditional Q&A with Sid Bennett. Please stay with us. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Be extraordinary. Be the change. At the Summit Lighthouse, our goal is to help you awaken to the light within and discover your real self. Today, thousands of spiritual seekers all around the world are using the universal teachings of the Ascended Masters to make their higher selves a permanent part of their reality. And you can too. The Ascended Masters are the saints and sages of East and West from all major religions and spiritual paths. They have walked where you walk and understand the challenges you face. And their teachings are always practical. By applying the science of the spoken word through verbal prayers called decrees, the masters teach us how to harness the healing power of the violet flame and other spiritual energies to transform our lives and our world. On The Open Door, it is our goal and great joy to bring you Ascended Master teachings that you can apply in your life right now. To learn more about the Summit Lighthouse and the teachings of the Ascended Masters, visit us today at tsl.org and discover how you can awaken to the light within. It's what you're here to do. Remember, tsl.org. 
the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. You are listening to The Open Door, hosted by Tom Schumacher and Terry Kennedy. If you have a question or comment about our series, please send your emails to webradio at tsl.org. That's webradio at tsl.org. Now, back to The Open Door. Welcome back, everyone. Thanks for staying with us. This is our final segment today. We are joined once again. In fact, we've asked him to stay with us since he was here from the beginning for a few questions on Atlantis and Jesus and whatever else comes up. Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. Well, you would think that people would be quite happy uh, with the Golden Age and not be inclined to mess it up, yet over and over again, that seems to be the case. Why is that? You know, I think that's the question God must be asking. <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's hard to understand, but if we... Let's, let's choose the story of the Garden Eden, the Bible. You know, although it's incomplete, it does have some keys there. Yeah. And, of course, the serpent tests Eve or tries to get her to, to eat of the forbidden fruit. And he said, surely you shall not die. <laughs> In other words, you know, come on, let's give this a try. Let's see what it's like. Surely you shall not die. In other words, the lure was... In Maitreya's mystery school in the Garden of Eden, there were disciplines to follow, there were devotions, mm-hmm. there were rules, because if you're going to hold the light and do all these things, naturally you have to follow the laws of God. And so what the fallen angels did, they came along and said, look, you have free will, you're a son of God, you can exercise that free will, come on over, let's give this a try, let's do this, do that. <laughs> and, you know, the, the promise was that good would come of it. And for whatever reason, we were naive, we were fooled, we had a seed of rebellion, whatever it was, and we have paid an horrific price for that leaving off on the path. And it's been a long time to come back to it, but we're back to it now. We have retraced those steps. God is giving us the opportunity to come back into his mystery school, if you will, of intimate relationship with Jesus, with the ascended masters on the path of our personal Christhood. But it still is free will, and we still have to choose you know, to be that disciple. A disciple disciplines himself. <laughs> we can't do everything um, that the fallen angels do and expect to become a Christ at once. We have to choose what it is we want. And that's where we are. That's where America's at and where this planet is at. We must choose whom we're going to serve. Yep, let's not blow it. Yeah. <laughs> well, Sid, do you think that we're beginning to approach the technologi- technological abilities of our ancient counterparts on Atlantis? Yeah, that seems evident, does it, from yeah. the description Mrs. Prophet was reading and from Philos the Tibetan. And I think this might be a good point to interject, you know, one of the main reasons for the sinking of Atlantis. And that was the experimentation with genetic engineering. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the mythological so-called creatures of half man, half horse, and so forth, mm-hmm. they actually existed on Atlantis. As we can see today, the scientists are unlocking the keys to change and modify uh, DNA and so forth. And the combining of animal DNA with that of the sons and daughters of God was the sin that eventually brought down Atlantis. That is not allowed. And, it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's concerning because that technology is coming back again. Well, and it's already happening in certain cases. I, you know, I think we talk about reincarnation quite a bit on this program, and it would seem to me that a lot of those scientists and um, others who are doing these crazy experiments on Atlantis are perhaps back with us again. Well, they are, because <laughs> what happened on Atlantis is the light bearers that knew the truth did not stand up and demand that these things stop. And so not only did the scientists get a certain karma because they had done it, but those of us that perhaps were too passive at the time 
we got karma too for not opposing it. So we're all regathered again. And you can see it has to be a time when there's a certain technological expertise because this couldn't have been done before. Yeah. So what's happening, not only are we embodied in America, which is essentially a re-embodied Atlantis, but the scientists and those that did those things are back now to be given a chance to either right that wrong or, God forgive, they do it again. And what's happened, and this is interesting, it's um, that some of these people have not been in physical embodiment since the time of Atlantis. In other words, their sins were so grievous they have not been allowed to re-embody but now they are because they must come full circle and face the karma they have created and to choose what they're going to do differently. Well, and I, I just, if I add something here, uh, Mrs. Prophet taught us, too, that many of the rock music- musicians that we have today who distorted sound on Atlantis, again, this is their first embodiment since Atlantis, and they're just coming back, and uh, some, if you look closely, apparently are repeating their sins on Atlantis. I mean, look at, you know, Grateful Dead. I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, what's in the name, you know? <laughs> no. and, and we talked about it on a previous show about how it, it can take only 50 years. You know, it's been 50 or 60 years since the introduction of rock and roll. Well, and that's something I think that we have stressed before, and it's probably worth stressing again, is that it doesn't take long to undo no. a lot of good, you know. You know if we, when you if, get a downward spiral, it feeds yeah. on itself. Yeah. And, and that's why God brings cataclysm, to, to stop it. You know, and one level it's a mercy, but in another level it's a quite a shock to you. Well, so here's here's my basic question. This is the elephant in the room. Are we headed for another flood? Well, I think God said at the after the Noah's flood that He would not destroy the earth with water again, but fire next time. So uh, you know, I don't know if that's a comforting word or not. No, it's not. But you have to remember that yeah. all revolves around free will. There's no predestination of cataclysm other than the choices the people make and exercise. And so, you know, God will warn us about cataclysm coming, and there's prophecies, and we've had those from Mother Mary just in the last century, yeah. of Adam and so forth. And the reason for that is that, look, if you continue the way you're going, this is what's going to happen. But it's not God's will, and it doesn't have to happen. And so Atlantis didn't have to sink, but it did because of the misuse of power and the loss of the golden age. <laughs> and so we're, we're back there again. We're at mm-hmm. that point. You said something at the beginning here that I thought was interesting, where you said, I don't think God had this in mind, you know, in terms of turning off the golden age at, at the human whim. But I think there must be similarities between, like, Eden, for example, um, the other golden ages that we, we know about or we've heard about, and this one on Atlantis. They all kind of follow a, a similar pattern, don't you they? You know, we have soul memories of this. You know, people etheric cities and golden ages, there's something in us that responds to that because we've lived in them. We've experienced them. We know they're real. And so there's a part of our being that is trying to get back there. We just don't know how. And so with the understanding that a golden age not only is possible, but it's the will of God, and it can happen if we individually and collectively will make the effort. That, that's pretty strong incentive. Oh, it's very strong. And I think you know, if, if we pay attention to those very faint echoes in our souls and our hearts, you know, they kind of are, are speaking to us on a level where we kind of know this. I mean, we, we know we were there. We, we know we had something that we willfully gave up. That must have kind of gnawed at us. I well, think, you know what some happens level. Is, you know, the, the powers that be, so to speak, the fallen angels and those that don't want us to know our true divinity and heritage, they're trying to, to bombard us with sound with things that keep us from having that listening grace mm-hmm. uh, you know, to God, to our Holy Christ self, to our voice of conscience, that will remind us of who we are, where we've been, and where we are intended to go. And they want to keep us from that. And that's why we've talked on this program about having daily devotions, prayers, yeah. meditations, decrees, so that you can hear the voice of God. We hear the voice of the world very <laughs> loudly. 
Yeah. Take time to hear the voice of God. Well, you know, it's, it, it also reminds us that what we originally kind of fashioned the show around were those four essential questions. You know, who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? And how do I get there? Because it dictates how we live. Exactly. You and, know? and we've been there. And Yes. And as we said before, people <laughs> yeah. would do better if they knew better. Yeah. Right. Oh, boy. So uh, we've pointed out before that most golden ages can last for thousands of years, but it only takes like 50 to bring them down. So it's a rather sobering thought. What can you add to that? It's more than sobering. <laughs> you know, um, if you can look at the change of culture in America and the world in the past 50 years, it's been pretty, pretty staggering. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I have an 11-year-old daughter, and we watch old sitcoms on TV or something to do. Well, we're currently watching Father Knows Best, oh, which boy. is from the mid-50s. Okay? Oh, my gosh. And if yeah. you don't live in America, maybe you don't know that show, but it was very popular at the time. And the values that, that they have on this show are so dramatically different than what you see today. Yeah. We recently saw one that was a Thanksgiving show. And they had a prayer that they did at their Thanksgiving dinner at the end of this. That I'm, It just blew my mind. <laughs> I could not believe it. It sounded almost like it came for the Ascended Masters. It was so high and holy. Wow. That would never happen today. you got to bring it next week. <laughs> uh, <laughs> play it. But, I mean, this is what's happened. And people haven't realized this has happened because it's been somewhat gradual in a way. And they keep accepting more and more and more of things that are further from God, from moral truths, from, from things that society and culture, you know, and Jesus and the other masters have taught for centuries. And we're slipping away from that. Everything's okay. Everything's okay. It doesn't matter. Yeah. You know, surely you shall not die. That is what the yeah. media and the world is bombarding us with. And if we don't take a stand for our Christhood, we're going to be carried away on that wave. And the wave is not going where we want to go, I can tell you. No, and uh, on that particular note, I think I want to um, maybe just tease next week's show, since we're kind of we're flirting around the edges of it right now, which is America at a crossroads. And I think I want to um, make sure it's clear that I know we have a global audience, and we're not just speaking about America. We're really speaking about the world. But I think America as that quintessential hope for the, gold, the coming golden age, if you will. And we've been talking about uh, Atlanteans re-embodying here in America. That we are indeed at a point in time where we can't simply sit by and watch. You if know, it's we time don't change <laughs> what we're doing, we're going to end up like Atlantis. Yeah. Because we're going in that direction. You know, and so we have to plead with God for intercession. And we have to order our lives so that we can draw down more light that will offset the darkness on this planet right now. Yeah, and... Um, well, yes. Uh, amen, brother. <laughs> um, I, I think um, going back to the topic of today's show, Jesus on Atlantis, what, what can we take away from the fact that he had this apparently amazing and quite lengthy embodiment on Atlantis as a high priest? Well, I think what we know is and understand from the teaching of Senate Masters, there's much, much more to the soul of Jesus than we possibly imagined. Yeah. And there's two things here I think are really important. One is that Jesus has been and is an evolving soul like we are. Mm-hmm. I'd say he's a little further advanced than we are. Well, but nonetheless, <laughs> his path is our path. That is what he came to teach us. Yeah. Okay, so that's the first thing. The second thing is that Jesus is unique in the sense that he is the Savior of the world. You know, Jesus was embodied as Abel. And when Cain slew Abel, you know, the first murder, so sure. to speak, after he left that embodiment, Jesus went before God and he asked God that he, if he could become the savior of the world. Can you imagine that? Wow. And I'm sure he knew the price he would have to pay to do that. So, you know, 
our admiration and devotion to Jesus has increased us many, many ways, much more than we had just when we thought he was our Savior 2,000 years ago. Well, right. I mean, I, I think what's amazing about that as we think about it is the fact that he has, as you said, an evolving soul. I mean, I think he was not born perfect, as none of us are, except when we were originally created. He made we're mistakes. Coming, coming he balanced the soul. karma. And, you know, he wants us to look upon him as our elder brother exactly. and not a god to be worshipped. Thank you, yeah. And, and I want to mention, too, that for those of you that are interested in reading more about life on Atlantis, we recommend this book, A Dweller on Two Planets by mm-hmm. Philos the Tibetan. And you can find the book on Amazon, of course. And if you'd like a copy of the complete lecture in audio, simply go to tsl.org slash bookstore and type in Dweller on Two Planets Audio mm-hmm. in the search box. That should do it. Yeah. Speaking of just doing it, I think we've just uh, caused another hour to vanish. We've caused <laughs> it's amazing. It. <laughs> Every week, it's just boom, it's gone. Well, Sid, thank you so much for being with us My as pleasure. always. Terry, of course, it's always a pleasure doing this with you, brother. And oh, everybody out there, we thank you for being with us, for listening in, and for staying with us all this time. Remember that <laughs> Remember that website, webradio at tsl.org, yes. webradio at tsl.org. Talk to us there, and we'll do our best to answer you promptly. We will answer you promptly. Yeah. In the meantime, as we always say, though the upward path may be difficult, the rewards are out of this world. God bless you, everybody. Have a great week. Thank you again for joining us this week for The Open Door. This program is broadcast live every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network. For more information about The Open Door and the Summit Lighthouse, please visit our website at www.tsl.org. We'll see you again next week. Thank you.